Lord Jesus, we thank you that it's true that you're the way maker, that you are the living God, that you're alive. You're here with us this morning. We thank you that you're a God who has drawn near, that you long to speak to us, to lead us, to guide us. Thank you for the gift of your word. And so as we open together now, we pray you speak to each one of us. We ask, we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Please be seated. Uh, I just want to add my welcome to you. It's so great to be sharing with you, those who are linking in with us online as well. So great to have you um, connecting with us today. And we are continuing in our series, God's Good News. We've been looking at the book of Romans, and today we're up to Romans chapter 6. Um, so far in this series, as we've been looking at Romans 1 to 5, these first five chapters have been focused on looking at what God has accomplished for us in the gospel, this good news that salvation is received, not achieved, that it's by faith alone and not by works that we have been saved. But here, um, from chapter 6 to 8, there's a shift in focus. Paul now changes to, to put his focus on looking at God, what God will accomplish in us through the good news of the gospel. He begins to look at how we are to live this new life that we have received, and specifically here, in Romans chapter 6, Paul is looking at how now as Christians, we are to deal with the problem of sin. What is our relationship now to sin, now that we have been reconciled to God, now that we have been saved? And I believe that this is a really, really important um, section or topic to, to look at because it's at this point that so many of us get stuck in the Christian life. I remember um, quite a few years back now when I first picked up, or we first picked up our first four-wheel drive. It was such an exciting day. It was a 2005 2.5-litre turbo diesel Nissan Pathfinder. We still have it, in fact. It's still going strong. But it was so exciting to pick up this four-wheel drive. Up until that point, we'd been driving an all-wheel drive SUV, and we started to get into four-wheel driving, and I really wanted to get a four-wheel drive with low-range gears so that we could just get that extra power, um, do more four-wheel driving uh, in, uh, in more uh, you know, difficult sort of conditions. And, and so I was so excited to get this four-wheel drive with this low range, and we would go out four-wheel driving. When the conditions got a bit tougher, I would just click it in to fall low. Um, but I was a bit disappointed. It didn't really seem to have the impact that I thought it would have, kicking in this fall, fall low, the, you know, the extra power and traction it was meant to give me. Um, and I was a bit just disappointed. It didn't really seem too much different from four, four high. Four high, four low, not big, big difference. I still was getting stuck. That was until one particular day I was bogged and uh, I was with another more experienced four-wheel driver and they came up to me and said, do you have it in four low? I said, yeah, yeah, I've got it in four low. And uh, they said to me, well, did, did you put it in neutral before you put it into four low? I said, yeah, 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 I did that. I put it into neutral before I put it into four low. And then I did what the person said, put it into neutral. I didn't realise, but to put it into four low, you have to stop the car, put it into neutral, and then click into four low, then you put it back into drive, right? I'd been driving this car around for years, thinking that I was putting it into four low. I'd never, ever even properly engaged four low the whole time. So I clicked it in, and this time when I did it properly, you could feel, literally, if you're a four-wheel driver, you know, the four-wheel load just lock in. And suddenly, it was like this, I tapped into this power that I didn't even know was available. This whole time, I've been driving this car. And now, I, you know, it's straight out of that, that, that tricky situation. But in so many ways, it's like that for us in our spiritual journey. 
We can so often or so easily get um, stuck. Um, we can find ourselves frustrated, find ourselves disappointed at times, particularly around this issue of what my relationship to sin is, the problem of sin, not realising that there's this power available to us and we don't realise or don't understand. Either we don't know it's there or we don't know how to, how to take hold of it. But this is the truth that Paul wants us to get hold of here in this passage um, that, that, that makes all the difference for us. So Romans 6, incredibly important. Let me read it to you. It'll come up on the screen or you can follow along on your devices or in your Bibles. It says this, What shall we say then? Shall we go on sinning so that grace may increase? By no means. We are, no, we, we are those who have died to sin. How can we live in it any longer? Or don't you know that all of us who were baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were therefore buried with him through baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, we too may live a new life. For if we have been united with him in a death like his, we will certainly also be united with him in a resurrection like his. For we know that our old self was crucified with him so that the body ruled by sin might be done away with. And we should no longer be slaves to sin. Because anyone who has died has been set free from sin. Now if we died with Christ, we believe we'll also live with him. For we know that since Christ has raised, was raised from the dead, he cannot die again. Death no longer has mastery over him. The death he died, he died to sin once for all. But the life he lives, he lives to God. In the same way, count yourselves dead to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus. Therefore, do not let sin reign in your mortal body so that you obey its evil desires. Do not offer any part of yourself to sin as an instrument of wickedness, but rather offer yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life. And offer every part of yourself to Him as an instrument of righteousness." For sin shall no longer be your master, because you are not under the law, but on, under grace. This is God's word to us this morning. And here, Paul alludes to two wrong perspectives of our relationship to sin. The first is to try to deal with the problem of sin through legalism, and the other is to, to, to respond to sin with license. Let me try and explain these two Perspectives. The first view, legalism, is very easy to adopt. It is to conclude that now that I have been reconciled to God and forgiven of my sin, my job now is to live life by the rules to prove myself in some way to God. And it's very attractive uh, because people feel secure living by rules. We want a list of do's and don'ts to follow because it's easy to identify what they are and, and it's easy to measure ourselves against that list of do's and don'ts. In Jesus' day, the Pharisees took the Ten Commandments, took the law of God, and they added an extra 1,500 do's and don'ts, 1,500 extra rules to follow on top of what God had given them. And the result was that people were burdened down by man-made legalistic rules that God never commanded. I'm, I'm, I'm sure their heart intention was good in creating all these extra rules, but actually it just burdened people down. Here are a couple of 
the extra rules they came up with. One of them was that you could not spit on the Sabbath because it would disturb the dirt and you would be guilty then of plowing the ground. That's one of the rules they came up with. Here's another one. You could not swat a fly on the Sabbath because you would be guilty of hunting if you swatted a fly on the Sabbath. So you get how crazy these rules become. But as crazy as it sounds, before we get too critical of the Pharisees, we need to know that we can so easily fall into this same trap. The struggle against legalism was not done and dusted 2,000 years ago. The battle of against legalism or with legalism takes place, did you know, every day in our hearts? Because there is something deep within the heart of each one of us there's something within each one of us that is, has this proud desire to want to prove ourselves to God and to other people. And no one thinks of themselves as a legalist. They just think of themselves who, as someone who takes holiness seriously. Charles Price tells the story of a friend of his who was in the, the Netherlands um, several decades ago now, and he was meeting with some Dutch Christians at the time. And these Dutch Christians were lamenting about the worldliness of the American Christians, particularly um, because the uh, American women um, wore makeup. The American Christian women were wearing makeup. And the Dutch Christians didn't do this because they saw this as worldly. How could you ever do that? And so this friend who's meeting with these Christians said they were lamenting over this fact, the worldliness of the American Christians, and they're getting, you know, really quite upset about this, and they begin to have tears well up in their eyes as they're concerned about it, and the tears are running down their cheeks, and they drop off their cheeks onto the cigars that they are smoking, and then off to the cigars into the cups of beer that they are drinking. And so the American Christians are lamenting the Dutch Christians and what they're doing, the Dutch Christians lamenting the American Christians, but you, you get the point this trap that legalism leads us into. Now, it's okay, it's wise even to have certain things you choose to live by based on your own understanding of how you think and how you're wired and how you react. But to impose them on other people is legalism, is another thing again. Early on when Facebook first came out, um, I, I, was, I was jumped on and I was a user of it, but I, I quickly realized that as I was using Facebook, it was um, creating certain feelings and emotions and attitudes that it was triggering within me because of the way I'm wired and my personality. And I didn't feel like these reactions it was creating were very healthy for me, so I made a decision to get off Facebook at the time. But for me then to say, well, then everyone else should get off Facebook because it's worldly, that's legalism. Now, I know that Facebook is actually an amazing outreach tool. How has God used Facebook to spread the gospel into regions of the world that would never, ever have received it if it wasn't for Facebook? I know many of you have been able to use Facebook to connect with friends and it's been this amazing opportunity to reconnect with people, for reconciliation to take place, connections with people you would never have connected with otherwise and be able to share and, and, uh, and, and open up spiritual conversations with them. In fact, a number of times I've actually thought seriously about maybe I need to get back on Facebook because of the opportunities that it creates for us, gospel opportunities. The really funny part of that story is, is not long ago we were in a pastoral uh, meeting and uh, something came up and I said, well, I'm not actually on Facebook. And the person said, yeah, you, you're on Facebook. And I said, no, no, I haven't been on Facebook for years. 
They said, well, your profile still pops up on my list when I look at it. And I said, what do you mean? He pulled it up and showed it to me. And sure enough, there was my Facebook from 10 years ago with very embarrassing 10-year-old photos. Apparently, I'd never shut Facebook off properly all those years ago. So if you tried to message me on Facebook, I'm so sorry. It wasn't intentional that I didn't get back to you all those, over all that time. But don't you see, you see the point here that, that legalism is not the answer, is it? Legalism is the answer because external activities can't change us because the Bible says, the Bible tells us that sin actually comes from the heart. That is where it comes from. And that is why Paul says in verse 14, he says, you need to remember that you are not under law but under grace. Legalism is not the answer to the problem of sin. The other extreme from legalism is license. And this is the view that since I've been saved by grace through faith, because it's not based on my works, well, I can now live however I want. Now that my sin's been dealt with, um, that I've been forgiven, justified before God, because nothing can now separate me from God's love, because my eternal future is secure, then it doesn't really matter how I live now. My sin's not really that big a deal. It's not really that big an issue anymore. Now, this is not normally a person's theology. If you were to chat with someone about it, I'm sure they probably wouldn't say that, but this is so easily can become our attitude towards sin. That, ah, it's not that big a deal. We would never stand up and we'd never justify um, this sort of thinking um, out loud, but we can often think this to ourselves. You know, when we know we have this particular struggle with sin, we can say, oh, well, it's not really that important. Because God's grace is greater, so it's not that big a deal. And it's true God's grace is so amazing and so outlandish that some people do mistake it for an acceptance of sin. But the Bible is so clear that actually sin it leads to death. The seriousness of sin is, is far greater than we ever really fully understand. And that's why Paul says here in verse 1, What shall we say then? Shall we go on sinning? that grace may increase. Are we going to live in license? And his response is so definitive, so strong, so clear. He says, by no means. That is not the answer. License is not the answer. It actually ends up just leading us into bondage and to, and to death if we're going to go down that track. So if legalism is not the answer and license is not the answer, how then... Are we to view our sin now that we've come to faith in Christ? How we respond to the problem of sin now that we are followers of Jesus, now that we've been reconciled to God? Well, Paul tells us, and this is so key for the Christian life. If you've ever felt stuck and discouraged in your journey of faith, defeated in your struggle with sin, then this truth is so important to get hold of. And Paul says, firstly, there is something you need to know Number one, and then secondly, he says, there is something you need to do. There's something you need to know, and there is something you need to do. So firstly, what do we need to know? If you look closely, you'll see there are a whole list of no verses in this section. Verse three, don't you know? Verse six, for we know. Verse nine, for we know. And they are all based around this same truth that Paul says we need to know. And Paul says that we need to know firstly that we have now died to sin. The moment we come to faith in Christ, we have died to sin. Verse 3, or don't you know that all of us who were baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? Verse 11, in the same way, count yourselves dead to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus. 
This is the key, Paul says, to know that we are now dead to sin and to count ourselves, to reckon ourselves as dead to sin. But what exactly does this mean, that that we are now dead to sin? What's Paul talking about here? Well, firstly, let's look at what it doesn't mean. Being dead to sin doesn't mean that we no longer struggle with sin as Christians. That's not what Paul's talking about. Otherwise, he wouldn't be urging people not to sin in verses 12 to 14 and in other passages where Paul explains this. And being dead to sin doesn't mean that we no longer um, face or struggle with temptation or feel the, the, the pull of sin in our lives. That's not what it means to be dead to sin. And being dead to sin doesn't mean that we are now sinless and perfect and we'll never have any issue with sin ever again in our journey. That is not what Paul means here. But what Paul is talking about when he says that we are dead to sin is that the moment you come to faith in Christ, you are no longer under the reign and the ruling power of sin anymore. That the power that sin once had over you has now been broken. And this is very good news. The Bible talks about the fact that our sin, that our sin actually holds us captive. It's it's very much like this this chain, our sins hold us in bondage, right? Our anger, our, our greed, our lust, envy, money, success, fear, these things, they hold us captive is how the Bible describes our sin. They hold us in bondage. We think that they're gonna to lead to freedom, but actually they end up just binding us up and becoming this weight and this burden on us. This is the great lie, that the world sells us, that sin is gonna bring us pleasure and freedom and joy, but it doesn't, it binds us up. When Jesus went and he died on the cross, he paid the penalty for our sin. And most of us can get hold of that truth, that yes, on the cross, Jesus paid the debt for me, that he paid the penalty that I deserve. But there's there's more to the story. That on the cross, Jesus also died to, to break the power of sin over our lives. He he came to to set us free from the bondage that sin has over us. And like I said, many of us, we can sort of understand, yes, I get that the penalty's been paid for me. I understand that part, but often we struggle to understand that also the power of sin has been broken over us. And the reason that we struggle so much to understand this truth is because so often in the Christian journey, although the reality is, is that that power was broken over us, The moment we came to faith, our experience is often that as we do the Christian journey, it feels like we are still in bondage to sin. Often it feels like that that our greed still has a strong hold on us, that our anger still has a strong hold on us, that, that all these different things that come us, often it feels as though they have this incredible influence and power over us. And it feels like, at times... In the battle against sin, that it feels like it still has this power over us. But Paul says you need to know, no matter what your experience might be or what you feel, you need to know firstly that actually the reality is, is that that power of sin, when Jesus died on the cross, he paid the penalty for your sin, but he also broke the power of sin over your life. Sin no longer has reign and rule over your life anymore. Praise God, this is good news, isn't it? But so often we struggle to understand this because our experience of the influence of sin in our lives is often very strong. We sin and we think, well, I'll never do that again, Lord. 
I'm sorry, you know, and we pray earnestly. Maybe we confess that sin and someone prays over us. But despite all our best efforts, we find ourselves falling back into the same sin again. Maybe you've tried lots of different things to change. Keeping lists, praying a daily prayer, following a strict routine, but you still feel powerless over certain sins in your life. Your temper flares up. Your jealousy and insecurity takes over again in that situation. You fall into gossip. You turn to your secret sin in a moment of weakness. You allow fear to control you again. You spend money on things you can't afford. You lie and twist the truth just a little bit to make you look better. And the list goes on and on and on. Or maybe you're here this morning and you're watching online and you're, and you're a believer, but you've fallen into a sin in a big way and you're thinking to yourself, how will I ever get back on track? And you feel like there is no hope. You feel stuck. You feel discouraged. You feel weighed down by by the weight of sin, the shame, the guilt, and you have everything but given up, or you have given up. Well, I want to tell you this morning that there is hope. This is what Paul is saying. There is hope. There is hope for change. And one of the keys, he says, is to experiencing freedom from sin is to properly get hold of this truth that we have not only been set free from the penalty of sin, but on the cross, Jesus also died. He overcame death to set us free from the power of sin. Despite what we might feel at times along this journey, the power that sin once had over us has been broken. I remember hearing some time back about how elephant trainers are able to keep these huge elephants um, captive or, or, or secure by simply tying a little rope around their front leg. And it's amazing. How, how can they possibly keep these huge, powerful animals um, secure by just this little rope on their leg? And when they interviewed the trainers, you know, there's no chains, there's no cages. When they interviewed the, the trainers, they said, well, the, the reason we're able to do this is because when the elephants are very young, we tie this rope around their leg. And at the time, because they're so young, they're not strong enough to pull away from it. But then as they get bigger and bigger, they are so conditioned in their thinking they believe that they still can't break away, when in reality, they could easily break away from this rope. They believe that the rope is still too strong for them, and so they never even attempt to break free, whereas in reality, they could break free at any time. And in many ways, this can be our experience spiritually as well. We are so conditioned to living under the influence of sin that we just think we have to just do what sin says. It feels like it has this power over us. Whereas in reality, the moment we come to faith in Christ, that power, that reign, that rule of sin over us has been broken. Because in that moment, we died to Christ. And Paul is talking here about this theological truth called our union with Christ. And the truth is that when we come to faith in Jesus... We are in Christ and Christ is in us through the gift of the, the Holy Spirit. And the implications of this, this unity with Christ, our oneness with Christ, is that we have also been unified with him in his death and his resurrection. Meaning that a death and resurrection have also taken place within us. We were united with Christ in his death. His death becomes the death of our old self. And we've been united with Christ in his resurrection. We've been given a new life, a new self. And this reality is symbolized in baptism. We go under the waters, dying to the old self, coming up, out, rise to new life in Christ. It symbolizes this union with Christ that we have as well. 
And that means that when we come to faith, our old sin-oriented self-life has died and we've been given a new life with new desires. But as I said, it doesn't always feel like this power has been broken over us. And Paul understands that we are all going to experience this struggle because we've lived in bondage to sin for so long. And so he uses here um, the image of slavery. It's a really helpful imagery for us to understand what's going on. Dr. Martin Lloyd-Jones explains this passage. He gives this illustration of the slaves that were set free after the American Civil War. There were many thousands of people who had been born as slaves, brought up as slaves, who'd lived as slaves their whole life. And they had got into the habit of thinking as slaves. But the American Civil War settled the question of slavery. Slavery was abolished um, and all these slaves were set free. However, for many years afterwards, many of those former slaves, especially the ones, the older ones who had grown up up with it their whole life, they kept on forgetting that they were now at liberty. They kept on forgetting that they were now free. When they were walking down the street and they'd see a white person coming the other way, they would cross the street and walk on the other side out of fear. When someone told them what to do, even if they felt uncomfortable responding to what the request was or it wasn't their responsibility to do it, they felt like they just had to say yes because they'd been so used to doing that for so long, even though the reality was they'd been set free. They didn't have to worry about that anymore. Although they could move somewhere safer, get a different job, many of them didn't because they were so conditioned to living a life of slavery, they were not even sure now how to live in this new freedom that they had been given. But the solution to that for them was that they had to learn to reckon themselves to no longer be slaves. That's what they need to do. They need to be reminded. They need to remember this. And it took some time because we tend to act, don't we, according to the habits and customs and practices that have been long ingrained within us. But the way to change is to tell yourself what is true about yourself now, that you're in Christ, that you are no longer a slave, but that you are free. And that is why Paul says here in verse 11, he says, in the same way, you need to Now count yourselves dead to sin. He knows there's going to be this pull because of what we've been used to, what we've been conditioned to. He says, so you're going to have to do this. You're going to have to keep counting yourself, reckoning yourself now as dead to sin, but alive to God in Christ. So this means for each of us that when the temptation comes, when the battle with sin is on, in that moment, we need to remember this truth. Sin, you don't have a hold on me anymore. You don't have a power over me. Your reign and your rule has ended. We can proclaim that, this truth that we know in our hearts that because when Jesus died, we also died on the cross. When he rose again, we experienced new life and the power of sin has now been broken over us. And we need to proclaim that and remember that and, and, and declare this truth to ourselves um, when we're in these moments. So that's the first thing, what we need to know. And then Paul says there's something you need to do as well. You see it in verse 13. Actually, it begins with something we do not do, and then out of that, what we are to do. So let me just read it to you. Verse 13 says, Do not offer any part of yourself to sin as an instrument of wickedness, but rather offer yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life, and offer every part of yourself to Him as an instrument of righteousness. Right, and the word instrument is a, uh, a good word that Paul uses here. It's a really helpful picture for us. I have up here on the stage with me an instrument. In fact, we have quite a few instruments in our house, not because I'm musical or my wife's musical, but 
because the kids have learnt different instruments over the years. There's a, a, a flute in our house, one of the kids learnt for a while, a clarinet that one of them plays at the moment. Um, we had a trumpet for a little while, thankfully that's not in our house anymore, I'm really glad about that. We do have a drum kit though, but it is electric drum kit, so only to be used with headphones on, that's not too bad. Uh, what else, we have a keyboard in our lounge room, the kids had lessons on, and this is um, my son's guitar, he got this for his birthday just recently and he's teaching himself how to play guitar. Now an instrument on itself isn't, isn't really, can't really do much on itself, isn't it? It's just sitting here doing nothing. Until someone takes hold of it and actually starts to play that instrument. You know, and I could take this instrument and I could um, try and play it, but it, it wouldn't make you think too much of this guitar. It'd be, you'd be thinking, that's not really that great at all. But if someone like Tommy Emmanuel then was to come along and to pick up this guitar and begin to play it for you this morning, then you would be in awe because you would discover the true purpose and the full potential that this instrument has, that this guitar has. And this is, this is the, the truth here that we need to understand that really the instrument is not in itself, it's, it can't really experience its full purpose and, and its full potential, but it really comes down to whose hands the instrument is in, isn't it? And think of the, the surgeon, the doctor, who has his surgical instruments out on the table ready for the surgery. Right, you do not want me using those instruments on you in surgery. That would be a disaster. You wouldn't want me using them. But in the hands of the skilled surgeon, the amazing things that, it, that can take place, the healing that, that can come through um, a surgeon, a skilled surgeon, as he uses those instruments. The key part, though, is, is whose hands is, are those instruments in? Whose hand is the instrument in? Because it makes all the difference in the world. And that is what Paul is saying here as well. He's saying if we want to discover our full potential, our purpose, we need to, we're like an instrument, we need to offer ourselves to God. We need to offer ourselves to Him. It's in Him that we discover our full potential, our full purpose that He has designed us for, the life that He longs for us to experience. We can offer ourselves to sin, but that just leads to bondage and to death. He says, instead, offer yourselves to the Master Creator. Offer yourselves to Him and there you'll discover your full purpose, your full potential that you're created for. You'll discover life in Him. You see, all too often we think of holiness as giving up the pleasures of sin for some worthy but drab life. That's how we see it often. One of our problems is we think of holiness of, as giving up things we enjoy out of this vague sense of obligation. But I want to tell you that is not the truth. Holiness is recognizing the pleasures of sin are empty and temporary. While God is inviting us to, to magnificent, true, full and rich pleasures that last forever. Psalm 16.11 says, In your holy presence there is fullness of joy. At your right hand are pleasures forevermore. Right, sin promises so much, but it doesn't deliver. It just charges this high price, broken lives, broken relationships, broken hope. And many of you experience that in your own lives. But I am convinced that holiness is always, always good news because God calls us to this incredible life in Him. He's always bigger and better than anything sin offers. He offers us abundant life, life to the full, life that satisfies. He offers delight for our souls and true 
freedom. This is what holiness is. It's a changing of our affections. It's not about just what we don't do, but it's about a changing of our affections toward God. And so we see here the answer to sin is not legalism, and it's not license. The answer to the problem of sin is to discover the life that God has for us. The life that God has implanted within us by His Holy Spirit with new appetites, new desires, new energies that come from the Spirit. And the invitation to each one of us this morning is to live according to this new life within us. So let me ask you, what are, what are you going to choose today? Will you choose sin that leads to death? Or will you choose holiness that leads to life? that leads to joy, that leads to true freedom in Him. So response this morning is this, if you're feeling overcome by sin, stuck in your sin, if you feel like it has this hold on you, then remember that not only has Jesus paid the penalty for your sin, but He has broken the power of sin over your life. Sin's reign and rule over your life has ended now. You need to know this truth. And when temptation comes, you need to count yourself dead to sin. You need to grab hold of this truth. And secondly... We need to do something. We need to offer our lives, offer ourselves as instruments of righteousness to God so that we might discover our true purpose, our true potential that is far beyond anything we could imagine. Don't you want that in your life? I do. And so will you join with me now as I pray and ask God to help us in this journey, to help us to grab hold of this truth, to live in the life that he has given to us. Let me pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the truth of your word. We thank you, Lord, that you have shown us how to live, Lord. That on the cross you broke the penalty of sin, but more than that, Lord, you broke the power of sin so that we no longer need to live in bondage to sin anymore. And so I pray this morning you'll help each of us to grab hold of this truth in the moment when the battle is on that we'll be able to hold on to this and proclaim this and know this and experience the power that this brings to us. Lord, where there have been old habits and old ways of thinking, Lord, we pray you'll change that by your Holy Spirit and help us to know who we are, who we now are in you, Lord, our true identity in you. And Lord, we want to offer ourselves as instruments of righteousness to you, God, that we might discover the full purpose and potential you have for each one of us. And then, Lord, as you mesh our lives together as instruments of righteousness, part of the great orchestra, Lord, part of the body of Christ, that you use us in all of our unique ways to bring glory to you, that your kingdom might go forward in great power. Our heart's desire, Lord, this morning is to live in holiness, Lord, to know the joy of living according to your word, living, Lord, according to your plan and your purpose for us. So help us in this, we pray, by your Holy Spirit. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. We're going to finish by singing a song which talks about the power of Christ that has been made available to us. So why don't we stand together as we sing this, as we proclaim this this morning, and allow this truth just to wash over us. Let's worship Him together.
Him this morning. Lord, we thank You that this is truth for us, that the power of sin has been broken over our lives, Lord. We thank You for this truth. And now, Lord, help us by the empowering of Your Spirit to live in the light of this truth this very week, Lord. Set us free, Lord, from the things that hold us captive, that we might know the fullness of life in You, that You'd use us in a mighty and powerful way for Your holy plans and purposes. This is our prayer as Your people. Pour out Your blessing, I pray, on those who have come this morning. They felt weighed down and burdened by the chains of sin, Lord. I pray this morning they'd leave with a fresh understanding, a fresh hope, a fresh power, Lord, because Your Spirit is here with us this morning. This is my prayer, that You'll lead us to be a holy people, shine the light of Your love and Your grace. This is my prayer. So do this, we pray, in each of our lives. And we ask this in Jesus' Name. Everyone said? Can we thank Jesus one more time for what He's done for us, His power that's been made available. Please be seated. If you'd like prayer here in the service, feel free to come down the front. We'd love to pray for you. Our prayer lounge, if you're online, do reach out to Chris, our host this morning. Our team would love to pray for you as well. But God bless you. Thanks for sharing with us. And don't forget our service tonight, 5.30 p.m. Can't wait to join together with the Switch Youth team leading us as well. God bless.